Before we get into this week's episode, I just want to quickly tell you about my upcoming workshop, Delicate Details. If you want great technique to come naturally to you so you can free up space in your brain and body to become the creative genius you know you can be, then this workshop's for you. Enjoy two hours of drills and combinations you can adapt to your style, and if you're like me, a small living room space. No more having to worry about moving furniture or houseplants around. You can do this workshop with minimal space. And believe me, I live in a studio apartment, so I know the struggle is real. Join the Delicate Details Workshop online from wherever you are in the world on Saturday, December 5th at 5 p.m. Berlin time. That's 11 a.m. on the East Coast in the U.S. or 8 a.m. on the West Coast. Register your spot now at jana.dance slash classes. That's Z-A-N-A dot dance slash classes or click the link in the show notes. Hey all, it's Jana and welcome to the Advance Your Belly Dance podcast. This week I have another guest for an interview I'm very, very excited about, Joey C. Vitale. Joey's a lawyer, speaker, and business coach for online entrepreneurs and thought leaders, and with his law firm and his courses, he helps online business owners call legal dibs on their brand name and signature methods so they never have to worry about losing their brand overnight. Joey has helped thousands of entrepreneurs and has spoken all over the country to help business owners stay safe and thriving. I really enjoyed doing this interview, and I hope you enjoy listening to it. Hey everybody, it's Jana and welcome to the Advance Your Belly Dance podcast, a weekly podcast all about the business of belly dance. I'm so excited to have another great guest on the show this week. It shows how the podcast is expanding to non-belly dancers. <laughs> you may be the first non-belly dancer on the show. Thank you so much for coming here. Welcome, Joey. Oh my gosh, the first non-belly dancer and you chose like yeah. the most polar opposite version <laughs> But for a great reason. I will tell the people why for a great reason. So I've been listening to your podcast. It is so informative and great and the way you explain things. So first tell people that don't know who you are, what you do and how you got into it. I think your story is really interesting. Well, thanks for having me, Jana. So like like Jana said, my, my name is Joey Vitale. I'm a trademark lawyer and I have been a business lawyer for about four years now. Um, I went out on my own after I realized that I was the world's worst courtroom attorney because I don't like to argue. And when I started my law firm, I, I really knew that I wanted to help business owners, entrepreneurs, specifically online solopreneurs. And I knew a lot about legally what they needed, but it took me a while to learn what they practically needed. Mm-hmm. And I know you've gotten a lot of questions about contracts and handling copycats. And I was getting a lot of those questions as well. But one question that I wasn't getting asked about a lot was about trademarks. Mm -hmm. And I realized this pretty quickly because a lot of the businesses that would ask me to help them with a contract or a copycat or whatever would come back months or years later saying, Joey, there's this trademark issue. Someone's accusing me of trademark infringement. What do I do? 
And the truth is, if you don't take care of your trademarks proactively, these can turn into big problems down the road. And mm-hmm. so uh, I'm going to try and wrap up my answer to your question. But but the reason why I now do trademarks is because I just have seen how dangerous it can be for a business to leave that part of their business exposed. So I have a combination of my one-to-one services that my law firm does that helps people with trademarks as well as a done with you course that shows you how to get trademarked in about three hours. And what would you tell people that are listening to this? They're like, Oh wait, I thought copyright was all I needed. I thought all I needed was that little logo on my website to say, Hey, don't steal my stuff. Um, And now they're hearing about trademarks. So what would you say the simplest terms, uh, the difference between those two are when it comes to protecting your work? Let me put it this way. In like 99% of the legal problems that can happen to you in your business, like if you were to go to a lawyer and pull out your laundry list of legal questions, 99% of your legal questions, your legal concerns are what I like to call flat tire issues. Meaning these are issues that are like getting a flat tire. They suck. Like there's there's no way around it. Like it sucks when you get a flat tire. But usually you have a spare in the car, either you or someone that you're driving with knows what to do to fix it. And you just kind of make do until you get that replacement tire that goes on there. Copycats is one of those, you know, flat tire situations Mm -hmm. where someone's copying you and it sucks. It's frustrating, but you can still run the business while you're dealing with that copycat. What makes trademarks so interesting and so dangerous is that they are a all flats situation. When you run into a trademark problem, it's like all four of your tires go flat at once. Because suddenly you can't market yourself anymore. You can't promote who you are because you're being told that your entire brand is violating somebody else. And so you have to cease and desist using it. And so it's a much bigger problem when all four of your tires go flat at once. And that's what happens when you run into trademark problems. And at what point then would you recommend or exactly how far would you recommend to go with your trademark? So there's dancers listening to this. They might have different courses, especially online now. They have different names for their courses. Let's say they have three in the pipeline. Should they trademark each and every single course name if it's a unique name? to protect themselves or yeah. such a great question. Wouldn't it be frustrating if I just said it depends. And then like <laughs> next question, that's what most lawyers do. So I'm, I'm happy to, to clarify what I mean here, but I really do want to say it depends mm-hmm. because there are two different ways to answer the question. When we say, when should you start trademarking something? There are two ways to think about that question. One is when is it worth it to, secure your own trademark to file some paperwork with the federal government to get your name, your course name, maybe a podcast name protected. That is one good question to be asking, but there's another question we have to ask before we even get there, which is when should you make sure that the names that you're using isn't too close to what somebody else is using? When should you make sure that you're running a trademark search so that the name that you want to use is available? When do you need to make sure that you're not accidentally infringing on somebody else? And not to be like 
the devil's advocate here, but if you are searching for your trademark and you find something that is similar to the name, but that isn't trademarked itself, can you still go ahead and... and Well, that goes into the heart of what does it mean to get trademarked? Yeah, okay. Because a lot of... I'm so glad that you're asking such good questions because a lot of business owners don't realize this. We tend to think about getting trademarked as a business hasn't trademarked their name until they filed paperwork. That's not actually how it works. Mm -hmm. Think about it like a birth certificate. When you get a birth certificate that shows all the details of your birth, but you were born regardless of whether you can find your birth certificate or not. That's how trademarks work. Your trademark rights are actually triggered upon use. Okay. So regardless of, of whether you filed for anything or not, the first person to use a name in commerce and connection with your industry, your products and services, you automatically have trademark rights. The problem is you don't have any hard and fast evidence Mm. of those trademark rights. You're, you haven't really claimed yeah. those. And so the, the tricky thing is if you, if you were to see somebody who used an, some name for a course, like you said, and they haven't gone through the process of applying for a trademark for that, and you know that, so you think that you're okay, later on, when you eventually want to trademark it yourself, when you go to the online application, there's a checkbox towards the end of the application that says, do you swear that you were the first person to use this trademark? And if you are lying there, then that is lying to the federal government. Okay. Yeah. But we don't want to so do that. <laughs> we don't want to do that, which is right. And so it's important, again, before we even get to the, how quickly do you want to trademark your own stuff? You have to make sure that you're naming things mm. that nobody else is is using yes that nobody else has trademarks on but even wider than that you want to make sure that you're picking a name that nobody else has used and is that what's i've heard this term used before is that what you'd call implied trademarking like where the process itself hasn't perhaps begun like the paperwork but yeah it's called the common law trademark rights here in the u.s so um again what's tricky is that Technically speaking, you are entitled to federal nationwide trademarks the moment that you use your trademark in interstate commerce. That's how this like first use right works. But practically, it's very cost effective to file mm -hmm. this paperwork. And if you don't have the bandwidth as a business owner to defend yourself using this common law stuff, which is requires a lot of money for lawyers to help you, um, then it's worth having at least one registered trademark. Because if someone else then starts using something that you were using first and you're trying to get them to stop, if you don't have any hard and fast evidence to point to, then it becomes very long and expensive for you to try and prove your case without that registration. Mm -hmm. And what advice do you have then for creatives or dancers listening to this that are just overwhelmed right now? Where would yeah. you say is the first thing that they should, where, where should they start when they're looking at, okay, I have this, I want to protect this. No one else has this name. How do I get started? Yeah. So the, a really great first step is to check out this free training that I do. Um, in the training, and I'll, I'll give you a link to it, but in the training, I go through 
the secret that I use with my firm and that I teach my customers inside my course that helps you avoid a lot of these mistakes. Mm-hmm. And the secret is called my RAD method. Okay. So it's short for ready, aim, done. And the reason why I love this method is because in the ready stage, you learn more about what trademarks are and what they aren't and all the stuff that we've been talking a lot so far about what a common law trademark right is, why uh, a a trademark registration is amazing and super helpful, but it doesn't mean that a company that doesn't have one doesn't have trademarks. Mm -hmm. We go through that. And then in the aim section, we dive into, okay, why is it that more than half of the trademarks that are applied for get rejected? And what can we do to make sure that as you're preparing your own application, it's not going to be the one that gets rejected because the trademark office, they get paid to find some reason wrong with their application. It's their job to try and keep the number of registered trademarks to a minimum. Why is that? Why would they try to keep it at a minimum just out of curiosity? Because they want to keep, freedom in the marketplace for as much as possible for people to name things that they want. Like how, how crazy would it be if Starbucks trademarked the phrase coffee shop and said no other coffee companies could use the phrase coffee shop? Yeah, that Um, makes sense. Yeah. No offense to, to, I mean, I am from the States, but I live in Germany now, but you know, America is the like, lawyer like there's more lawyers in america than most countries like yeah and there's a reason for it the people here (laughs) like to argue yeah um and and we're seeing it more and more um Mm. there's this table that i i show people in the training and you can go there just by going to joeycvitali.com slash rad and i'll show you that that rad method inside the training Um, there's a really interesting table that we show people inside the training where we look at the number of trademarks that have become registered in the past 20 years. And that number has been rising every year. We're at a point now where over half a million trademarks are applied for every year. And so there's a really good chance that if you are just naming your stuff without considering trademarks, that you're starting your business off out the gate with a brand that is accidentally infringing on somebody else. Mm-hmm. And have you worked, I'm sure you have, but you know, to anyone that's like, Oh, freaking out right now thinking, Oh man, I may need to rename some things. Yeah. How difficult is that? How we, I mean, obviously I guess it depends on, on how far their own business is with regards to using that name. But, um, is all hope lost if they do use a name that's already been uh, used or similar to what they have out there? Potentially, yeah. So Mm -hmm. there are some workaround strategies that we go through in our program. If for whatever reason, you know, people see some red flags, but they still want to see if they can use it. Um, That being said, the, the deeper problem here is that business owners, just because we're human, we tend to get emotionally connected Mm -hmm. to these names that we are not actually entitled to. Mm -hmm. And so um, we know that it can be super frustrating when you find out that a name that you want to use is taken. And so we we actually have a a naming masterclass that we also give to our students so that if the name that you want to use was actually taken, 
this framework that we've put together helps you come up with like hundreds of great alternative names. Okay. That's great. And I, I listened to your podcast, so I've, I've written down a couple of things is why I'm looking down at my notes here. <laughs> um, one of the things that you say that I love on so many levels, it's, um, it, I believe you said it in one of your earlier episodes, is you are not your business. Do you want to mm-hmm. expand a little bit on, on what you mean when you say that? Yeah, it's especially common in the online business owner, solopreneur world, but I'm seeing it with everybody. We hop on Facebook groups and we talk about our business and we're always using the words I and me. And if a client is upset, then that means something about us personally. Or if we can't, you know, close the deal when we're talking to somebody on the phone about becoming a client, then that's something about us. And the important thing that I've learned from all the business coaches that I work with is that none of that is personal. And the more you allow it to speak to your sense of self-worth, the more dangerous running a business is going to become for you. But the problem with that is that until you form an LLC or a corporation here in the US, then your sole proprietorship means that you literally are your business. And so it can be really hard to make those mental shifts that all of these business coaches are telling us to do when at the end of the day, legally speaking, we are our business. So that's a great non-legal reason to shift from a sole proprietorship to an LLC or a corporation if you haven't made that jump yet. Legal speak aside, um, it's like, I think also just for our own mental health as <laughs> solopreneurs to, to have this distinction between business and self. Um, yeah. It's very, very important and very interesting that one way to push that is through this legal portion of, okay, if you can't mentally put that mindset in place, how about you legally put that until it kicks in? Yeah. So yeah, I really like totally. that. If you want gooey hips, stronger shimmies and arms, so elegant Misty Copeland would be proud, then my Delicate Details Workshop is for you. Learn how to get great technique come naturally to you so you can free up space in your brain and body to become the creative genius you know you can be. Enjoy two hours of drills and combinations you can adapt to your style and if you're like me, a small living room space. Join the Delicate Details Workshop online from wherever you are in the world on Saturday, December 5th at 5 p.m. Berlin time. That's 11 a.m. on the East Coast in the U.S. or 8 a.m. on the West Coast. Can't make it live? No problem. You'll get access to a live recording to watch as many times as you want until December 21st. Sign up now at jana.dance slash classes. That's Z-A-N-A dot dance slash classes or click the link in the show notes. Because confidence in your performance comes from repetition during your practice. So we're going to go into the lightning round, which is not really the lightning round. Normally I do this with the dancers. Um, we have a set of the questions, but I can't ask you those questions. So I have some questions that I've collected from uh, a few dancers that have had some some general questions about the legal speak. Yeah. Okay. So you, you had already touched a little bit on this, but how do you best suggest dealing with a copycat? Um, I know one dancer told me that their website copy got practically just completely stolen um, when they tried to speak to the person about it. um, They actually just got blocked. 
and they didn't hear from them. So just in general, how do you suggest dealing with copycats? I guess, especially when it, or when it comes to even website copy. Yeah. Um, um, I'll say this. I recommend that you create a plan around copycats where the goal is not to have zero copycats. The goal is to have a margin of copycats that you're dealing with effectively. Because the truth is that growing and scaling businesses will have copycats. Mm -hmm. And as frustrating as it is to see it, like you should give yourself a pat on the back because it, it means it's a good sign. It means that you're, you're doing something well, you're looking like you're a big deal, uh, regardless of whether you feel like that's the case or not behind closed doors. The other thing is you need to get very objective about what the damage is. Mm-hmm. Really think about and, and look to your numbers. You know, is this causing you to lose any clients, to, to lose any leads? Are you losing any potential customers because they're not going to this person? If that's not the case, then just know that any additional time and effort and money you spend on this is, has an opportunity cost to it because that could have gone towards building the business instead of going after this jerk who might be hurting your feelings but isn't really objectively affecting your business. Mm-hmm. It's choosing your battles, right? It's just yeah. figuring out, okay, is this worth my time to pursue? And, and, be, and be careful because you will talk to lawyers who have such a high value on justice that they will tell you to do all this stuff to go after them and power to them for helping you in that way. But I care more about you as a business owner Mm -hmm. and I would hate for you to regret spending time and money going after somebody and then realizing that there was like a growth deficit and that you weren't making as many sales because you were distracted by that situation. Mm -hmm. I also know a lot of um, dancers that this keeps them from creating Mm. that they're like, Oh, well, what if someone copies? And that's like, it's kind of sad because it's missing the point. Right. And you should still, you can't not do something because you're scared someone will copy the work that you haven't even done yet. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, And if this is something that is particularly heavy to you, feel free to, to reach out to me. One thing that I do with my clients is I help them put together a, plan A, plan B strategy. Mm -hmm. So that whenever there's any type of a a copyright issue, we have just like a super swipeable copy and paste kind of good cop natured, hey, we're noticing this thing, you know, let's work together to, you know, we're going to assume that you didn't know any better. You know, here's what we'd love for you to do to fix it. And if Mm -hmm. they don't comply with that, then you can look into alternative next steps and see if it's worth your time to continue mm-hmm. going after the issue. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of dancers don't have a contract in place. Now, this is a very heavily loaded question because it depends on a lot of things, right? But yeah. in general, um, does a contract protect you even if your work with someone is from another state? How does, yes. yes, yeah. Um, here's the thing, you guys. Um, Contracts are helpful. I'm such a non-lawyer when I say this. Contracts are helpful regardless of how enforceable they are. Because screw worst case scenarios, they help clarify what the 
best case scenario is. Mm -hmm. They help clarify with your students, with your clients, what the the red carpet version of working with you is going to look like. And yeah, it's great to have some type of a contract in place that handles those worst case scenarios, but a really great business reflects that in the contract and says, here's what you can expect from us in terms of what we're going to give you so that this is more than worth what you've paid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really does. I know when I used to do a freelance web design as well, like and that is a lot of back and forth between revisions and all that. And that really yeah. helps set the expectation of, okay, this is how many you get. And it's not about the worst yeah. case scenario if this drags out, but this is what we've agreed upon. Yeah. A lot of people, when they think about contracts, they think about this worst case scenario with this god awful client and they're going after you with stuff and you're trying to just use this contract as this shield to defend yourself. Really what you want to do with the contract is every, you want to have it be specific enough so that as your clients start to walk off of that red carpet experience with you, you can point to the contract and usher them back on. Mm -hmm. You can say, Mm -hmm. oh, we're noticing a delay in your payment, or we reached out to you last week, according to our contract, you would do this, whatever. And so it just kind of gently lets them know how you can both work really well together instead of jumping to, you're an awful client, Mm -hmm. (laughs) no refunds or terminating the contract, whatever Mm -hmm. it is. Mm-hmm. Or a misinterpretation, like, oh, that's not what you said in this Facebook message five weeks ago. And like, right. what are you talking about? <laughs> right. Yeah. So th- this is more of a, a question aimed towards you and your work. But what do you want in your in your wildest, nicest dreams about the creative world in 2020 and beyond? What do you want every creative person to, what do you wish for them to have when it comes to their legal, mm. like, box of things to, to have? What do you wish to see? the creatives to have. I would love it if every single business owner was building a business towards a future that they wanted instead of trying to build the business that just prevented them from all of these nightmares that they're wanting to avoid. Mm -hmm. I think so many people very quickly in their business we start to make decisions based on fear of what we don't want to have happen instead of really getting focused on what a hugely successful scaling version of your business looks like. And I, our, our mission with the way that we help people legally is to keep you focused on playing offense in your business and not just playing defense. It's about operating out of not fear, but out of like hope and wanting to to build yourself. Yeah. yeah it's not about like, oh, well, what if this happens? What if that happens? Yeah. Although I can we understand have, both. <laughs> we have we have a, way too many business owners who are playing small to play safe right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's an interesting uh, a point. Again, beyond just the legal terms of like what you said, you're not your business, but even like just the philosophical when it comes to running your own business. Very nice. Joey, thank you so much. This was so fun. And thank you for being the first uh, non-flyer on the on the podcast. Hey, I'm sure people got a lot Maybe of I'll it. learn and I'll come back and I'll have a 
belly you dancing. You are welcome nice. in my classes anytime. Mr. Feeney <laughs> can come. <laughs> love it. Love it. Uh, where can people find you? Yeah. Again, the, the best next step for you guys, if you want to learn more, is at joeyc.vitali.com slash rad. Or if you just want to follow me on Instagram or send me a DM, you can find me on Instagram at joeycvitali. Great. And I'll add that in the episode notes as well. So you can just click on it. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you all for listening. And until next week. Don't forget my delicate details workshop is on Saturday, December 5th at 5 p.m. Berlin time. That's 11 a.m. on the East Coast in the U.S. or 8 a.m. on the West Coast. You'll get two hours of drills and combinations focusing on improving your techniques so you can focus on being creative and developing your own style. If you can't make it live, that's no problem. You'll still get access to a live recording to watch as many times as you want until December 21st. Sign up now at shauna.dance slash classes. That's C-A-N-A dot dance slash classes or click the link in the show notes.